again and welcome to episode three of Mass Movement Presents. We've got a great show lined up today. I'm Chris and as always I'm joined by founder of Mass Movement, Tim Cundall. That's me. Thank you to everybody that's already downloaded or listened to the previous two episodes. Very much appreciated. It's going quite good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Quite well rather. Quite good. It's going quite good. So as always, in this episode, we're going to have a selection of music from you. Across the board, Chief. Across, across the, board. the board. Across the board. <laughs> a wide yeah. gamut of different genres and bands. Well, not really. It's all bloody punk rock and, and grinding metal. So. Exactly. Including a new track from Spoonbirds. Yeah, the new album. Yeah, so look forward to that one. We're going to hear about all our exploits on the Mass Movement road trip. <laughs> the Cider Road Trip. Yeah, the Cider Road Trip down Somerset. We drove down to Mumble Country. We made it back alive. <laughs> We hear a little bit about Tim's uh, chat with Lisa Downs. She's the director of Life After Flash, a documentary about uh, Sam J. Jones, Jones Melody Anderson, and the rest of the cast of Flash. And what's after. become them since Flash? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What they do now, and it kind of follows them around. So we're going to get into that a bit later. And also, we got some exclusive comments from the game Triple H. H. Time to play the game. <laughs> NXT TakeOver Cardiff was this weekend. We managed to get a few words with the man himself. We've got that coming up too, so stay tuned and we'll be back in a minute. Hi there, this is H from Acid Rain and you are listening to the Mass Movement Podcast because you're a sensible, clever, smart individual. So the overriding question is, what do you do after you've saved every one of us? After you've saved the, saved the Earth, we're in 14 hours. <laughs> and, you know, you become associated with just one role. You become Flash Gordon. And, and that's, that's kind of what... Life After Flash. Flash. Yeah, yeah, this documentary is about, and it is an incredible film. Yeah, I had a quick flip through it. It goes into sort of, you know, what, what it felt like, say, what we said earlier, it follows them around, what they're doing now, what they've been doing since then. I mean, Sam J. Jones had a tough old haul of it. Well, yeah, he really did. After Flash Gordon, it was a, it was a tough haul for him. You know, and he... He's made it through in a way I, I doubt few other people could. I mean, if anybody's sort of become pigeonholed in a role, you know, sort of... Oh, like Sam J. Jones, yeah. That's Absolutely. He's you know, the actual... Yeah, if you put it in the dictionary... That you, would... know, you look at Flash Gordon, there's Larry Buster Crab and there's Sam J. Jones. Yeah. You now, Larry, Bust, Larry Crab or Buster Crab, whichever way you want to annotate his name and shorten his name, that was my dad's generation of Flash Gordon. That's how I... The serials, the yeah, old... Yeah, the yeah. Saturday morning cliffhangers. Yeah. That's yeah, how yeah. I was introduced to... Flash Gordon and then the Alex Raymond books and the comic strips and then all of a sudden Sam J. Jones comes along and he's my Flash Gordon right? Sam is always going to be my Flash Gordon and I mean we'll talk about the film I guess at some point later on down the way down the line because I remember going to see that film three times in one week at the cinema with my dad we'd have a whole episode on Flash Gordon really couldn't we Oh, we're going to. We absolutely will. <laughs> Such is the influence. I mean, yeah. and this documentary goes into sort of its influences. And, and the history of it and yeah. who it's inspired. and Yeah, where it came from and who it, you know, who it got influenced by and who it influenced. Right, well. and, you know, talking with Lisa, it was it's a real labour of love for her. It was it was a pet project and one she pushed for. And one, now it's out there and it's, you know, you can watch it. I think it's available on Prime and Amazon. I think it's on iTunes. But if you can't find it on iTunes or Apple, you can go to the site, you know, www.lifeafterflash.com and, and order it from there, digitally or on DVD. And it's, it's one of those films that leaves a profound impact on you because no matter how much you think Sam J. Jones is going to be your hero when the film starts, or he is your hero when the film starts, by the time the film finishes, he really is your hero because this is a man who's devoted his life, done the Hollywood thing and he's done tons of drugs and he's slept <laughs> with a thousand different women, but he's come out of it 
a better man on the other side and he's come up with a man who will support his friends and supports his family and puts them above everything else he's a man who's got time for his fans you you know you watch this guy at cons and the, the appearances he makes and he's shaking everybody's hand he'll talk to you for however long you want to talk to him he's not one of these dudes who's completely unreachable and he was meticulous I, the bit I watched he was meticulous in his prep he, was, oh, he, 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 he wasn't just sort of oh turn up sign a few autographs yeah. he was right how many photos have I got is this Banner Street? Who am I sitting next to? He yeah. wanted. To, he cares about the fans. He wants them to have that that experience. Genuine experience. Yeah, I mean, totally. He's, he's, I mean, I guess it's because he was military. He was a marine, and now he's doing close close protection security work as well as being an actor. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, well, that's what they get to later on in the film. Okay, yeah. That's his job now. He runs a business. He does close protection security work. Flash Gordon. He, he's actually Flash Gordon in real life. <laughs> Seriously, wow. So he does close protection security work down in Tijuana, and that's a tough gig in anybody's book but he does this because that's just who he is when he plays it's just like Sam J. Jones is this guy and then he turns on the flash and he goes I'm now Sam J. Jones who's going to be in Ted and Ted 2 because like, in Ted yeah, it's still one of I mean I know it's it's a bit close to the bone but when he, that whole death to Ming scene comes up I <laughs> damn near wet myself laughing because <laughs> yeah. it's just it's Flash beating up me again. It's brilliant. So yeah. I mean, some of the influences. Are, I mean, some of the people are actually on the, in this movie, in the in the documentary. I mean, you've got Robert right. Rodriguez in there, Jay Muse, you have Rich Fulcher. Well, the, the thing that surprises me is you've got Mark Miller there. Oh, yeah, that's right, he was there. You know, and Mark Miller going into detail about how it's influenced him, and Alex Ross, the comic book artist, and you know this guy just draws. Oh, yeah, and all you can see when you look, he's stylistic now. Ah, I see where your stuff comes from because it's all the old Flash Gordon posters and you've incorporated them into your artwork and that's been such a massive influence on your life. And who didn't want to be Flash Gordon? I mean, when you... 1980, 81, when you, when you heard that Queen soundtrack, right, when you heard Queen going, Flash, ah, you just wanted to be Flash Gordon. I always did. I, I would rather have been Flash Gordon than Han Solo. That's how much from the impact that film had on me. Oh, see, oh, for sure. And that's Tim's controversial statement for this week. Yeah. Oh, there'll be more to come, don't worry. <laughs> because, you know, we, we thrive on controversies. <laughs> but anyway, this is the Mass Movement interview with Lisa Downs about her film, Life After Flash. Okay, I guess we should start, you know, like all stories, at the beginning. Would you like to introduce and tell us a little bit, little bit about yourself? Yeah, of course. Uh, my name's Lisa. Um, I directed Life After Flash. Uh, I have been working on it, slogging it out for the last three years, and I'm very happy it's, uh, it's finished. Okay, so wh- where did the idea for Life After Flash come from? Uh, well, I had always been interested in documentaries. I did a my first documentary, I was 19, I went to India to, uh, to shoot in a Tibetan village there, and then I had always had an interest in it, but then I did, my career went into producing kind of factual entertainment. Uh-huh. Um, and then I had a friend who had worked with Sam on a TV show here called The Jump, which is where celebrities do ski jumps, and it's awful, everyone gets injured, and Sam got injured. Um, so he wasn't actually on the show, but she kind of got to know him through that. And then I was out with her one day at a birthday, and I was talking, and she mentioned Flash Gordon, and I said, "Oh my God, I love Flash Gordon!" And uh, and then I said, "I'd love to do a film on him. You know, like where where has he been? I don't know much about him. I love the film, but I didn't know any of Sam's other films apart from Ted." Right. Um, and so I wrote a treatment, and she put it towards his agent at the time, um, and then we ended up skyping, and I pitched it to him. Uh, and then we kind of went from there. 
but yeah, it was just a conversation over the fact that I just was curious about what happened to him. Okay, so you were a Flash Gordon fan before you actually started making making the film then? Oh God, I don't think you could do a film like this. Okay, so, so how did you begin to make a film like Life After Flash? You know, it, was it relatively straightforward? Was it a difficult thing to put together? It, I can honestly say it has been the hardest thing that I have ever done. Right. Um, because I don't know if you know too much about filmmaking or documentaries, and there's all levels now, and I, I think we're really lucky as filmmakers it, it, at the moment to have access to the equipment and, you know, people who are willing to help, and it's a lot easier than it was 10 years ago, but... It's, it's still such a hard, it's a hard thing to do because normally back in the day, if you had like a proper budget, this would have cost, you know, it, it could have cost half a million, it could have cost a quarter of a million. Right. You know, you have a crew, you have a camera operator and a sound operator and assistant and a coordinator and producers and, and an editor and, you know, and, and this one was just me and my producer who came to help on shoots and you know it was just two of us that did the whole thing pretty much um up until you know i ended up editing it and then we had an amazing support group of people that someone came and did music and someone came into graphics and you know filled in areas that i couldn't do myself right um, and we had people all on the way helping out uh letting us sleep in their house and you know helping us when we traveled and like anything they could do um but it was tricky because I was trying to have a full-time job at the same time and I had to stop kind of, I had to stop taking work so I could focus on this at times and then with the crowdfunding, um, that's a full-time job in itself. So I didn't really know what was going to happen at the beginning. I just started it. And the thing with these sorts of things, when you start it, uh, it won't happen unless you, you just start it a lot of the time. So we just, we began filming. And then I decided I obviously needed to get over to the States, so we did a crowdfunding, and the first one failed. And then I think Sam maybe wasn't sure about what he was getting into, and so I had to re-pitch it to him. And then then the second crowdfunding, when I actually kind of knew what I was doing, worked, <laughs> only just for that trip. And then when I got back, I still had, I had no money, so I was trying to finish it with what I had, and then I did a second round of crowdfunding. So there's just all these things that go into it that I don't think, unless you do it yourself, you realise. Right, so it, there's a lot of challenges along the way. It's, yeah, I mean, every every step of the way. Like now now I'm, you know, in post and right. doing legals, and I've never done legals before. And, you know, so it's just, it's, you just do it because you have to, really, because you're choosing to do this project, and it probably won't happen. No one's going to love it more than you do. Right. No, so, it probably won't happen if, it, if you don't do it. <laughs> yeah, it was hard to answer the question. It was very hard. So how like Flash is Sam? Exactly. <laughs> really? I mean, he, like, it literally is, there's a quote in the film, actually, a guy yeah. called Bob, Linda Mayer, who is probably the backbone of this film outside of myself and Ash, who, uh, who did, like, the opening titles, and he's, he's a guy in Seattle who, in the film, you'll see he has all the props, and he says this line where he's, like, literally hanging out with Flash Gordon, and it is, like, he's big, he's, you know, a lot of actors you see, like, wow, he's so much smaller in real life. And, yeah. But he's huge, like, he's, like, six foot three or something really like amazing shape and he always like you have dinner with him or he's always like looking at the entrances to make sure that you're covered and he knows like how many people are where and where the security guards are and he's like always on it always protecting people i mean it is it is like hanging out with flash gordon he's and like the nicest person that you would ever meet so i hope that we have kind of done justice to who he really is in the 
Because that's unusual when you hear that, you know, you you imagine him to be one way and he's exactly like that in real life. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, exactly. It's so it's so funny because it's weird when you talk to him and sometimes even now, having known him for so long, I still talk to him and I'm like, you're Flash Gordon. He's <laughs> Flash Gordon. You're, you know, and everyone says the same thing. But he, you can, like, you know how you have certain people that walk into a room and there's like a presence about them. Right. He's, he's that. Like, you, you can tell that he's made for the movies and you can tell, like, of course he's Flash Gordon, like, when you see him. So what, what was the most surprising thing you learned and discovered about Sam while you were making the film? Uh, I think it's been really nice to get to know the family side of him. Right. And that genuinely, you know, you get people that, are, are not naming names, but you do get people at Comic-Cons who were there for the money and they're just because they feel like it's a job. And yes, obviously, financially, Sam does those kind of things because it's part of his work, but he genuinely loves being there and he genuinely, like, genuinely loves talking to the fans and I think that was interesting to me because I've been around a lot of celebrities that they feel like it's a bit of, you know, oh, why do I, you know, let's right. get this over with and, but he, he really would, he really just loves doing it and I think that's been really refreshing to, to know that actually there are some of your heroes, you know, people say, be careful meeting your heroes. Right. Uh, like it wasn't disappointing like he genuinely loves the um, I don't want to say loves the attention like he loves um, being able to give back to people who he knows that the film has meant so much to um, and then yeah like I said to see how he has been as a family man like genuinely committed and his children are incredible um, and I don't want this to sound like an interview where I'm you know no, 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 that's fine. gushing like because it's genuine it, it is genuine I was really surprised and it was really nice to see so, I mean, how, how responsible do you think that Flash Gordon was for the direction that Sam's life and career has taken, you know, in, in its aftermath? Uh, what, did, what did Flash Gordon do to his life? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do, do, you know, it, is, is, has his life been moulded and shaped by Flash Gordon, or has he been able to shake that tag to, to any sort of degree? Uh, I mean, I guess it. I guess you you would when you have, and we touch on this in the film a bit, right. when you have a character that you that people love like do you want to break away from it or do you want to embrace it right um and he i think now now with ted it kind of had a resurgence of flash because i don't believe it was re-released on dvd till like 2007 no because I, I i burnt out three video copies of it <laughs> yeah. so you know what i mean so it wasn't really around up until that point so he probably didn't know the audience was waiting there so right um, you know, and he went and got another job, which you'll see in the film. Yeah. So it wasn't it wasn't a huge part of his life until it kind of came back into the forefront of it, because his focus was on his family. It was getting himself to be the person he wants to be. It was right. focusing on his family, making sure everyone was taken care of and happy. And then when Ted came out, and and then everyone realised they had access to Flash Gordon again, and then the internet became um, more. I guess more of a, a a stepping stone for people to talk about how much they love the film and connect with people and other fans and with Sam and and I think now it is completely changed the direction that it was going. You know, they say there's like three moments in your life that normally have massive right of where you could go. Um, I think Ted was definitely one of those forks for him that he you know and and off the back of that he because his attitude changed. Off the back of that, he was getting more work in film again. You know, he does Comic-Con appearances now as Flash and with Ted. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, it's. I don't think you can really do a film like Fashion not have it completely change your life. Right. I mean, there's a lot of urban mythology about the film as well, such as, you know, Sam was overdubbed, there's a multitude of arguments between him and the producers, it was originally supposed to be the initial chapter of a trilogy, there's, there's a director's cut of the film, you know, so how much of this urban sort of mythology did you find that was either true or just nonsense while you were working with Sam and uh, on, on this film? Ah, uh, well, isn't that, isn't that the million dollar question? Right. All of those. Uh, we do answer a lot of those questions in the film. Right, good, um, good. It was, it's interesting <laughs> because during all these interviews I've been just like, you know, sometimes even off camera just throwing in a few questions just to find out some gossip from people and and it has been interesting. I can't say everything but it has been interesting but we do, but the good, the good thing about this film right. was Sam was very kind of all or nothing. He was like, I will just be honest yeah. So it took a few interviews for me to kind of uh, have the courage to ask certain questions. But his, he, to his friends, he said he hooked up interviews with all of his really close friends in a really close circle he has out in San Diego. Um, and he just said, as long as you tell the truth, I don't care what you say. Right. So they were the ones that really kind of told me certain things that then I went back to Sam and said, hey, look, I need to talk to you about these points. Right. Um, but he was very open about everything that happened on set. Uh, cast members were surprisingly open about what happened. Some it was interesting because some cast members didn't know anything was going on, and some really knew what was going on. Right. It was interesting to see their opinion of of the atmosphere on set. Um, but yes, it is it, it is all answered in the film. Excellent. So, were there any members of the cast from the film who didn't want to be involved for any reason? I will give you three guesses. Who didn't, <laughs> didn't want to be involved? Oh, I'm thinking Tim Dalton and. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know what? And I can't. It's it's been such an emo- emotional roller coaster doing this because I would sometimes think, you know, if I got a no, at first I was frustrated. I think, why? Like, why wouldn't you do it? You know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. For much, and, and then I think, you know what? They don't owe me anything. Like, they have probably been asked so many questions. It's their career. You know, if I had done a film that maybe, for whatever reason, I might not have been proud of and I wanted to go another way or whatever they're feeling if it is, um, I might not want to reflect on it. So there were, there's a couple of key people. Right. For different reasons. I'm not saying everyone said no, but for different reasons, they weren't but so, they were. Are you still there? Yeah, I'm sorry. They weren't. They weren't open to the idea of it then. They were. There was. Yeah, one was a money thing. I right. Couldn't, I couldn't make it work financially. Uh, another one was just they didn't want to reflect on the film in this kind of way. Okay. One there was no response to, and one was don't contact me again. <laughs> so you know, so I, there was a mix. Right. <laughs> uh, but I, I really did genuinely try and I know I see people on social media going why aren't these people in it didn't you think about asking these people yes I did I asked right one probably more times than politeness allows um so I did really try every every avenue like stalking trying to if they were doing an appearance can I get press passes and sneak it you know I really tried everything but at the end of the day like they don't owe me anything so uh, I feel like we have enough people supporting and representing the film in there that I hope by when you watch it, um, you don't notice that then they're, they're not in it. Okay, so so why do you think Flash Gordon's become a cult classic? What, what do you think the secret of its lasting appeal and longevity is? 
It's, I think a, I think a key... I mean, it was so different when it came out. I think yeah. the majority, 90% of the people I speak to, including myself, it's a film you watch when you're little. And it's and that's where kind of the magic happens. If people... I, I have friends who've watched it as an adult and they thought it was awful, which, you know, it probably is to an adult. But as a kid, it's just like a magical, colourful, musical experience that right. you didn't know before. Um, and you have that connection to the nostalgic part of it. And I think also that it was never a sequel, like sequels weren't made, that it kind of has that, it, it, it didn't have a chance to get old or have, or be or be um, rehashed too much that it was ruined. You know, it's this single little gem that kind of appeared and is still rewatched by people that are now trying to give it to their kids to watch. Uh, so I think it's a nostalgic connection with it. So, so what's the reaction to Life After Flash been like so far? Uh, it's been really good. So we had a UK screening and a US screening, just for backers, like a private screening for uh-huh. through and backers. Um, and it was it was really nice to finally show people. And it was genuinely like, I, I feel like those kind of screenings, they might just say what they think I want to hear, but I, I've been reassured that they didn't. Um, so it's been a really good reaction and it's been interesting that some people there's two parts of the film one is like the making of and one is Sam's story and some fans really just love the making of and some fans really love Sam's story so it's been interesting to see how that's weighted okay Um, off the back of off the back of those screenings we did kind of do a mini re-edit and cut it down by 10 minutes right Uh, so that was good feedback from my point of view to be able to see it objectively um so now i feel like it's a bit stronger but it, it has been it's been nice because this whole experience during the low points which there's been many um it's been nice you know to get emails from people saying you know through this i connected with my dad again because i spoke to sam at a comic-con and we connected over the film and your story and you know so it's been nice to, to see how this film can can connect with people more right. than just being some entertainment for 90 minutes and and the main reason Sam wanted to do this was to get his story across in case that his what he's been through helps mm. other people which I think if that if that can do that just to even a handful of people then it's been worth it so I completely forgot your question but <laughs> no, that, <laughs> no that, 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 that no that that answers it I think perfectly um so, so uh, do you have plans for a mainstream release of the film yeah, we have a sale. AMP are our sales agent. Right. Uh, they've just come back from European film market, um, and it is in their very capable hands of what happens to it now. Right. So we do, we do hope it just goes to the right the home. You know, it's such a it is a niche film. Right. But I feel like the audience at there, it's a very lovable audience. So I'm, I'm I have fingers crossed. But it, it's very early days. We've just we uh they've been with us for a few weeks now, so we're eagerly seeing what will happen. I mean, the thing is, the fan base for the film, and I know this because I'm part of it, is so loyal, it's so faithful, mm. this film is going to find this, is going to find this audience. It will, it will, and I've been very lucky that I've built a kind of mini family, I guess, a community is probably a better word, through this, like on social media, like I know through the reunion that I put on and then through the crowdfunding and everyone has been... I feel like I know everyone personally and everyone's been super patient. I mean, right. who would want to, you know, three years ago, just want a poster and have to wait three years to see the film. Um, so, yeah, it's, I've been really lucky, I think, that it is such a strong fan base and the, the fact that everyone is just like, how can I help? What can I do? I had someone just send me a hard drive because 
I, I needed more space and I didn't have any money left to do it, you know, so it's, yeah. it's been really, it's been really nice because I feel like it's kind of a, a, a film made by everyone, for everyone. Right. I mean, so, so what's next for you, what's next for you now, Lisa? Uh, I have a few in the pipeline, which I've started filming two of them. Right. Um, but we will announce them when we're a bit further down the line with them. When the time's right. Pardon? When the time is right. Yes. Right. Yeah. But there's three in the works, two are actively kind of filming. Right. Um, but we're just, we're kind of waiting to see what happens with this one before we make a solid plan on the direction of them. But, uh, yeah. Okay, and we, uh, is there a site where people can go and find out more about the film? Yeah, I mean, so lifeafterflush.com is the website. Um, yeah. But I, to be honest, I mostly update the Facebook page, which is, I think, just Facebook forward slash lifeafterflush. But there is, lifeafterflush.com is the website. Okay. Um, but yeah, and I'm always the one that replies to the Facebook and the messages and the Twitter. So if anyone wants to get in contact, they can get in contact through there or through the contact on the website. Okay, that's brilliant. Thank you, Lisa. Okay, hope you enjoyed that. That was Tim speaking with Lisa Downs. I've said Life After Flash is out now. Uh, Amazon Prime or lifeafterflash.com. Uh, lifeafterflash.com will tell you exactly where you can get hold of the film. Talking of which, Lisa's given us a copy of the DVD of Life After Flash to give away in a competition. Tidy. So, if you want to win it, and who wouldn't because it's Life After Flash, answer this simple question. Which American football team was Flash Gordon the quarterback for? Send your answers to info at uk. Title the subject, Life After Flash, and don't forget to include your address along with your answer. And if you win, if you win, you'll get a copy of Life After Flash on DVD, courtesy of Lisa Downs. So, there we go. Wow, first giveaway. First giveaway. Woo! <laughs> so, what was the question again? Just repeat the question, just a bit, so we know. Which American football team was Flash Gordon the quarterback for? Okay. There we go. Answers to info at massmovement.co.uk. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay. So let's, let's stay in space, shall we? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Best place to be. Yeah. Hell yeah. The episode nine Star Wars trailer, Rise of Skywalker, oh, dude. dropped this week since our last episode anyway. Yeah. Um, that's been the sort of talk of uh, the fandom. It was a little bit special. It's got. We. I'm not. I'm not going to pretend it was easy to watch. Cause no. With the whole Star Wars cinematic cycle coming to a close. For a certain genre, it's the end of everything. Well, I mean, it's the end of everything for everybody, but if you're there from the beginning, it's... It's the end of this particular cycle of Star Wars. Yeah, it's... it's the end of what started in 76 in Elstree ends Christmas 2019. Yeah. Um, yeah. The whole Skywalker saga just sort of wrap, wraps up, and it's... So what was your take on it? I think it showed you a lot. It, it teased a lot, but I think, and the stuff that got people excited is not going to be as exciting as people... I mean, see three people red eyes? That's that's intriguing, but I don't think we're gonna see Dark Side C three PO. No. I don't think we're gonna see well we will see Dark Side Ray, but I you think that's I gonna think be that, a flashback. That whole Ray thing is I I think it's like in Return of the Jedi, when Luke goes into the tree. Yeah. What you take in with you is yourself and what you fear the most and what you fight is what you fear the most. And it's her seeing her potential dark side and it's just a flash forward to that because this is Star Wars. It's not gonna end with the Empire winning, it's not gonna end with Ray going dark. It can't. It's going to be Ewoks dancing. Oh, I hope not. <laughs> I, I hope not. Playing Stormtrooper. Gungans dancing. Oh, that's even worse. <laughs> Gungans oh, dancing with Ewoks. <laughs> what kind of pervert are you? <laughs> now, I, it won't end darkly. It won't end. No. It won't end. Everybody's saying, oh, it's going to be... Oh, Ray's going to the dark side. Ray's not going to the dark side. No. 
they you know there's light and dark there's balance and they'll find that pure balance in the force and that's how it will end yeah and they'll set it up for nice the old republic or whichever way they want to go with the next trilogy of films which they will do there'll be a gap but there will be another trilogy of films yeah of course yeah i mean it's going to keep on going now disney they've just bought this you know in the last 10 years, or whatever it was, five years right, ago. Right, but, and then... They're not just going to... Well, the thing is, we know what's going to fill the gap between this film and the next trilogy, because we've got three series. Yeah, of course. We've got The Mandalorian, which the trailer for which hit, which was a proper geekgasm moment. It's just, oh my goodness, this is like... The greatest, See, no, the greatest things ever. IG-88 in action. That was How exciting. cool did he look in No, action? I know, yeah. Oh. Again, what is it with those guys? What is it with, like, you know... We saw Boba Fett and IG-88 very briefly in those movies originally but they just because sort of, we saw them very big, they stuck there it's, it's like the, it's like Star Wars version of the Magnificent Seven right? you've got the badasses of the bounty hunting universe all there Dengar Bosk IG-88 Boba Fett they're there they are the baddest of the bad and they're being sent after Han Solo so of course they've got a backstory of course we're going to want to see more of them and then seeing IG-88 finally pulling those pistols out and just going for it that was incredible yeah and the uh, the carbonite sort of trophies if you like the tro- yeah. oh brilliant this is good this is going to be something special it really oh, is sure. I mean I know it, it's going to be like a, we're going to drip feed you an episode a week for 12 weeks or how many, however many weeks and you know they're happy with it because they've already set up series season 2 yeah. there's already a season 2 confirmed they haven't even shown a second of it on, on streaming TV and we got from, was it following on from that? The Obi Wan is that one? Oh, Kenobi. Kenobi. Kenobi yeah. Is that coming next after Mandalorian? I'm, I, I don't know if it's going to be Kenobi next or if it's going to be the prequel to Rogue One. I'm assuming it's going to be Kenobi because they made a massive announcement about it. They said the scripts are ready to roll. Ewan McGregor comes out and says, "So Kathleen, ask me the question. Yeah. Am was, I going to play? That was beautiful. You and are you going to play Obi Wan Kenobi again? Yes. <laughs> Boom. Floor. Ah. 10,000 fans on their feet, screeching, dancing. We know already that it's set 10 years before Star Wars. I refuse to call Star Wars a new hope. <laughs> yeah, I know you're thinking about Star this. Star Wars, right? It, no, no well, I agree. No, I agree. Well, that crawl wasn't added until it was re-released in, in the 80s. Yeah. So it's Star Wars. End of story. It's not a new hope. Yeah. Well, chapter 4, yeah. But Star Wars, it's Star Wars. It's not a new hope. So we know it's set 10 years before that and it'll be set in Tatooine. And... Yeah, I'm kind of looking forward to that. I think that's yeah. going to be... They're playing in proper sandbox. They're playing in proper Star Wars. And it'd be nice to see you and you McGregor in that role again, but with less hammy lines. I imagine like this is going to be a more rounded sort of role. You're pleasantly trying... What you're trying to say in a very pleasant way is... George Lucas isn't going to be writing his dialogue, so it might actually be quite good. Yes. Yeah, yeah, okay. God, I love George Lucas, but... We all love George. Yeah. But George should not write dialogue. George knows George shouldn't write dialogue. And George would be quite happy to, you know. And anyway, George, if you've got a problem with it, we'll take you out for a cheeseburger and everything will be fine. When we meet it's all good. At some point down the line and, you know, all our geek dreams come true. Yeah, but I mean, D23, when this came out, there was such a slow, massive announcement. It was. It was just. It was just one after another after another. And yeah. Of all the Marvel announcements, they announced a Moon Knight series. I never thought I'd live to see a Moon Knight series. That's gonna be brilliant. We do live in a quite a special age for. But um, you know, a mental Marvel's mentally ill version of Batman. It's gonna be brilliant. Is he really an avatar of Khonshu, the god of of vengeance and justice, the Egyptian god of vengeance and justice, or is he just bonkers? That's the eternal question that goes on. But, you know, he's Mark Spector. He's Moon Knight. He's so, Moon was that a movie or was that a series? It's a, yeah, no, they're going to make it. It's, no, it's, it's, it's a series. It's okay. A, it's going to be a live yeah. action series. Well, know, okay. With, uh, like Miss Marvel and um, yeah. She-Hulk and WandaVision and 
Loki. They didn't. Do they know She Hulk? Yeah. She Hulk. She Hulk. She Hulk. Miss Marvel and Moonlight. See, there's so much. Like I said, there's so much stuff that came out of D23. I was kind of. I couldn't take it all in. It was. She Hulk. That would be awesome. It it was nuts. I mean, I want to. The one thing they announced, which sort of floated underneath most people's radar, but I'm so like, I've got to be there, is they're doing. They're adding uh, Cherry Tree Lane, the whole Mary Poppins thing to Epcot. So in the UK part of the World Showcase, yeah. you know, we got the Rose and Crown and yeah, yeah, come on in Governor, have a have a beer while I'm playing on the old Joanna, which is it's quite a surreal experience. You've been there, you know it's like it's just odd. Yes. And they're adding Cherry Tree Lane, the Mary Poppins experience, so it's gonna be back there. That's fantastic. It's gonna be you know, know another reason to go to Epcot. So you can get drunk and have a dance with Mary Poppins. Yeah. Sing Chim Chimney. And then get escorted out by big burly security guards. Because <laughs> you've been drinking around the world enough, quite you finished in the Rose and Crown. The Rose and Crown. Is it the Rose and Crown? Yes, yeah, the Rose and Crown. Rose and Crown. Yeah, I'm sure it's the Rose and Crown. Yeah. Um, where they serve dreadful beer, apart from it's the only place I've ever seen Innocent Gun on tap. Is it really? Yeah, Innocent Gun original. It's the only place I've ever seen it on tap is wow. on the Rose and Crown. So, of course, I had a couple there. Obviously. I had a little dance by the piano. Knees up, Mother Brown, and all that. <laughs> but yeah, so they're adding Mary Poppins and Cherry Tree Lane there. So, switching over to From DC. Marvel to DC, Shazam. Yeah, yeah, Shazam. I finally saw it. Finally saw it. Go on then. You're a, you're a fan of the comic book for starters, aren't you? Yeah. yeah. But I'm a fan of the comic book going, to back, going back when Shazam was Captain Marvel. And so it became Shazam uh, when Jeff Johns started writing it. Because he's been on and off Shazam or Captain Marvel, jumping between the two for a while. And I finally saw the film. Best DC film yet. Yeah, I'd go with that. It's, it just it got just it right. Brilliant. Absolutely right. There wasn't a beat in that film that was out of step. It was just yeah. perfect from beginning to end. You know, they kept Billy Batson, you've got the petulant teenager, and then you've got his wonder of being catapulted in his adult body and all that sort of teenage angst being pushed to a, a superhero. And they got the, the comedy didn't feel pushed. No, it just felt natural yeah, and felt yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it just felt kids like kids arguing with each other. And it totally suited his character. And it, it's, it was just a really good movie. Zachary Levi was awesome. Oh, well, he, I enjoyed him in Chuck. But, if, uh, well, he finally got his superhero moment because yeah. you know because he was Fandral in Dark World, which we shall yeah. not be mentioned, and he was Fandral <laughs> in in Ragnarok, and he got yeah. killed within says two words and gets killed by Hela. So Zachary Levi finally gets a superhero moment, and it's good. Yeah, that's coming well. It's really good. You also, I believe, you checked out Hellboy, the new Hellboy. Yeah. Uh, this week. Yes, I did. What was your take on that? Me and my wife go, we're, we're quite sort of, we watch that together. Mm. I am, my wife would probably put it, I'm a Hellboy geek. Okay. And I love Hellboy. And I love the whole Mignola verse. So I was kind of, there's great bits in the film, and there are some bits which make you go, why? Why? <laughs> Just, why have you done this? Where is it going? What's going on? You know? It was the effects I couldn't get past. I just thought they really cheaped out on the effects. And prosthetics. Yeah, it looked like somebody wearing a mask. The, the mouth movement, the lip movement, you just... The thing is, it should have been awesome. You had David Harbour. I thought I was watching the old Planet of the Apes. Well, David Harbour from The Equalizer and Stranger Things. Awesome. You had Lovejoy. Awesome. Yeah. Right. And it's directed by Neil Marshall. Yeah. Dog Soldiers. Game of Thrones, a couple of episodes he's done at that time. It's got all the, the ingredients to be incredible. But it just falls short of the mark. I, I can't put my finger on why I was disappointed in it. It, it had... Admittedly, it was trying to follow in the footsteps of Giants with Ron Perlman's Hellboy. Of course, yeah. With Hellboy and the Hellboy. And it's always going to be compared to that. Yeah. And it was so always going to be. It was big, big shoes to fill, hmm. but it didn't. It's come woefully under budget. I mean, the budget was 50 million, and it took something like 42 million, 
uh, worldwide. And, that, and, and that's excluding marketing and all that kind yeah, of stuff. So yeah, so it's, it's I, bombed. You know, which is a shame. Hellboy is one of the greatest comic books of the last 20 years, without exception. The BPRD, incredible. Every time Mike Mignola sits down to spin something off from his Hellboy universe, it's good. He's one of the unsung heroes of comic books. As far as I'm, he's always going to be in my top five writers and artists. I was just disappointed in the film because Mignola deserves much better than that. Totally, yeah. Absolutely. And they, I just made me want to cry. So were you a fan of the, the Guillermo del Toro versions? Of Hellboy? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Have you seen, I mean, I'm a fan of the animated films, but this was just... Wide of the map on all, on all fronts, wasn't it? Really? Yeah, it was just... I, I'm, I'm not going to watch it again. That's what I mean. No, no. Okay. Unless, of course, I get an iron out and somebody says, well, we can either iron your testicles or you can watch Hellboy. What are we <laughs> going to do? And even then, it would be a tough call. A really, really tough call. Okay, on that note then, we'll pick it back up with Sperm Birds. This is their new song from the album Go, Go to Hell Then, then turn, left. turn Left. It's out on Rookie Records and Boss Tunage Records now. This is called Breathe Deep. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Spurbird, breathe deep. New album, go to hell. Uh, then take left. Then turn left. Then turn left. Then turn left. Yeah. He's out on Rookie Records now. And uh, Boss Tunage. It's a blinder. It's a good one, yeah. It's a blinder. Every Spurbird record, record is. Every Spurbird record since 1987 for me has been a blinder. Since 1987. 1987. Something to prove. Something to prove. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was there. It's one of the first records I bought in autonomy. That's kind of the one that opened them up to a bigger sort of. <clears throat> I mean, they became kind of the whole skate punk thing a little bit, didn't they? You know? Yeah, because that through the song My God Rides a Skateboard but to me Sperm Birds are sort of my punk rock anchor they're sort of what anchors me more 
through a belief system than any other band. They lyrically, I connected more with the Sperm Birds than I did with the Dead Kennedys or Crass or any of those bands because they talk about the, per- the politics of the person, they talk about the indiv- individual struggle, they talk about what it's like to be you in something that's bigger than yourself, to be a part of the scene and to you know grow as a grow as an individual. And lyrically, I've always connected with them, and it, you know it helps. Their tunes are massively catchy and incredibly immediate, and they've never ever deviated from that sort of lyrically we'll talk to you about what it's like for us because we're just like you and musically they've never taken their foot off the accelerator they've never been less than intense and they've never delivered a less than incredible record and in 35 years that's there's not many bands that can say that no there's usually a stinker in there somewhere yeah and but they are just one of the bands i connect to most in the punk scene and i've always connected to most in the punk scene and i'm Fast approaching the same age as the sperm birds are. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, yeah, this new record is just incredible. And I, I literally would urge everybody to please, please check it out. If you're thinking about buying a punk rock record the next week, go to Rookie Records, go to Boss Tunage, and just order the new sperm birds record. And this, that record, that's how punk rock should be played. With heart, soul, passion, energy, intelligence, and just, yeah, it's the sperm birds. There you go. Endorsement indeed. Check it out oh, now. Incredible, man. Uh, and it doesn't it helps that you know they said lots of nice things about mass movement this week after reading our review of the record but it doesn't help but it's, it doesn't hit <laughs> it's, uh, oh no it's coming out no it's not that it's it's it's, cash it's like it's, it's like, no <laughs> more's the shame but it's sort of like a vindication you know you, you sometimes when you're thinking why am i doing this why 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 and then something like that happens you get a nice you go, comment you go you go you know people do appreciate what we do that's why i do it and this is why we do the podcast the podcast has been such a shot in the arm because people actually like it people appreciate it mm. and yeah. it's like a vitamin b shot for all, men, <laughs> for all punks let's all keep punks it old school nice keep it old school should we persistent sword 2020 has been announced right gorilla biscuits yeah lots of friends yeah h2o yeah street dogs so far yeah uh, as uh, at the time of recording yeah does that tickle you at all no nope. it's just the environment is it yeah the sort of venue okay so, be playing. so all those bands big tick in my yes box not a problem with any of those bands but as we were talking about earlier if i'm going to go and see those bands together on a bill it's going to be something special for me i'm not going to go to london see it yeah. i would rather get a plane ticket fly out to Philly and go to This Is Hardcore and see those bands there. You know, make it a, a pilgrimage rather than I'm going to London on the bus to see some bands to stand around in Shepherd's Bush Empire or wherever it's going to be, get sciatica and then moan about being old and then get back on the bus to come out of London. The only benefit of that is you won't be driving through London on a Friday or a Saturday swearing yeah. a curse and burning your clutch out on the car and trying to park <laughs> in spaces that are half the size of what you should be able to get into because... I'm not a fan of London, but if I'm going to go to London, I want to spend more than three hours in London. I mean, that is the problem with some of these tours. I mean, you're not seeing those bands in their natural environment, if you like. They're all they're all bands that thrive with you know, the singers chucking the mic in the face. Yeah. Uh, you don't want a big barrier with, you know, security lined up in the you front. You don't want it to be a London show. You want it to be, this is hard. You want you stage want, diving. You, you want, want it to be stage diving. You want everybody yeah, to be pylons. You want... Whether or not you're involved in that, or you're just on the periphery, that's what you want to see. That's spectacle. You want, that's yeah. when you, you stick want, those bands, you want it you to be like a, like a Sunday matinee CBGB. So mm. You don't want it to be a bunch of bully boy security guards in London, and with you and the band completely distanced from each other. You can't do that. It, I can't believe that's the environment the bands would want to be in. It's, but it's yeah. not down there. It's down the tour book. Yeah. And 
and what's going it's the only way it's going to work the, you know it's not the tour bookers fault they're just trying to look for a venue where everybody's going to get paid the bands are going to get paid they're going to make their the, the venue's essentially going to make some money of course yeah it's just if I'm going to go to London these days I'd rather go to the West End and see a musical like Hamilton yeah and I know that sounds old right but Hamilton is brilliant I haven't seen it on stage is there stage dives is there pylons it would be better if there were <laughs> if there was a glorious pylon a wall of death and, you know to open up the interval that would be even better right <laughs> But there's nobody doing the pizza making. There's no creepy crawling, which is a shame. But it's still a good music. I'd rather go and see that, and go and buy books and you know go to some terrible craft beer bars and pay an exorbitant amount of money for a ridiculously overpriced beer. Then I would go to a show because getting on the bus, going to a show, getting off the bus, going into the show, standing around with a bunch of no all hardcore kids who know nothing about anything is not my idea of pleasant. I'd rather be in an environment which I choose to be in. I'd rather be see it. This is hardcore in Philly. One of my favourite places in London is Old Ages Records. I love that place. I spend hours in there. It's a it's a good shop. I think it's one of these places that's maintained its integrity and maintained its spirit from the minute it was set up by Lil and Kath in the household name records. Because they originally set it up and they sold it and then moved on to do... Whatever it is they're doing. Um, being there? happy, living in living the dream, living the family life. They, 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 they're in London. I haven't spoken to Catherine and Lil in a while. I'm still friends with them via social media. I don't think Lil is calling himself Lil anymore. It's David now. Where did Lil come from anyway? I have no idea. I, I remember I asked him once and he told me, but I can't remember. Lil, it's like, it's like if you're listening, Lil, let us know why. Yeah, give us a ring, Lil. <laughs> no, seriously, give me a ring. Give, give, me, a give ring. me a ring, Lil. <laughs> I'll just talk to you again, man. Um... Yeah, it's not my kind of... I'm not... I like all the bands. I really do. It's just I don't want to be seeing them there. If I'm going to fly out to see that... If I'm going anywhere to see that show, I'm flying out to Philadelphia and I'm going to see... And this is hardcore. Which would be, for me, is a, it's a proper pilgrimage. It's a proper experience. And that's how those bands should be enjoyed. With no security as a big free-for-all with crowd and band working in a symbiotic relationship, as hardcore should be. Yeah, I th- honestly, though, I think those days are lost, aren't they? I mean... We live in different times. Well, no, they're not, because when you see footage of this is hardcore, and there's nobody giving those kids shit when they get on that stage to die off. The bands are just in their element. The kids are having a great time. It's self, self-policed, isn't it? Yeah, but that's that's the point. It should be self-policed. It always was self-policed. I could, I could never see that in London, though. I, just, I could never see that happen in London. It happened at one point. Yeah, a long time ago. I, I couldn't see it now for the, you know, those, these type of bands. No. In, no like, but in, like, you see, like the London Shepherds, Shepherds Bush Empire. Yeah, yeah. It's you know, not I couldn't happen. see it. No. But it's a shame, but I got I I would ignore the persistence store, save my pennies and go to Philadelphia. That's the kind of thing I want to do. Or even Webster Hall, if it was still going to be open and doing that, that's the kind of place you want to be seeing that. You don't want to be seeing it. I don't see it in bloody London. Bloody London. That's not a terrible cockney impression. Really. <laughs> that's twice you've done it. You didn't remember oh. any Poppins earlier. Did I? Yeah. I'd subconsciously slip yeah, into it. Yeah, you just slipped into it. Yeah, come on, blimey, me and you. <laughs> Because you just do, don't you? Because, yeah, you know, he's, he's the terrible cop who burnt the chimney's room. He's, he's coming in from afar. Hi, this is H from Acid Rain, and you are listening to the Mass Movement Podcast. Good idea, that. I heartily endorse this podcast. It's been a weird week this week for music. For me, it's been one of the albums of the year. And the Not Loose record, yeah? The Not Loose record. But they're the one everyone's been going on about, and I'll never, for the life of me, see why is the new Tool record. I mean, why would you... Th- it's in the same week you've got... It's an insomniac stream, it just... No. Oh, knocks you out. Yeah. I mean, the new Knock Loose record, a different shade of blue. It's out on Pure Noise Records now. They're in Europe from December 3rd. Uh, stunning record. Uh, right. Everything a modern hardcore sh- record should be. 
they you know it's it's heavy it's fast it's got the beatdown bits when it's beatdown but they don't make the whole thing about a beatdown you know and then you know it's it's just brilliant and they're all young guys I've seen them before in Cardiff awesome live band I can't wait to see them again well talking um, about awesome hardcore mm-hmm. I mean from a fact I think we should maybe chuck in that adrenaline OD track that Mike from Beer City sent us right now should so, we do that now I think we should do that now we'll come back to Knock Loose in a second we'll come back to Knock Loose come back let's to check out adrenaline OD first Okay, from the album The Wacky Hijinks of Adrenaline OD, the 35th anniversary edition, out on Beer City Records on September 13th, this is New Year's Eve. Hijinks of Adrenaline OD, 35th anniversary edition. So come on, and what's so good about this Knock Loose record? It's just everything. There's too many bands out there now who just do the sort of chugga chugga beat down thing, and they do that. That's their thing, and it's that's all good and well. Right. But sometimes you want some fast hardcore as well. Yeah. And you want it heavy, but Knock Loose just take both of those, they smash it together, and they've just produced. Uh, totally amazing modern hardcore record their last record was awesome um and this is just taking that and to the next to the next level so that's floating your boat this week oh yes definitely floating my boat unlike the tool record and a tool record which is i'll, I'll never i i got it's not like i got no love for tool i've got no i've got zero love for tool i don't mind admitting i have absolutely zero love for that band they bought absolute bejesus out of me since the first time i heard them. i just don't <laughs> get it and any band that releases a limited edition CD copy of our record, including headphones, MP3 player, and digital copy of the album, which you can listen to through the CD box. And quite frankly, bugger off. I mean, I enjoyed uh, Undertow nope. back in the day. No. Nope. When they get to the point, they're good. They get a riff. When they get they get there, it's good. But it's a 15 minute build up to that to that one good point, and it's just no. Nate Caliban did it best, right? Yeah. About Shout out to Nate. Shout out to Nate because he said it best about tour. Best thing this singer ever did was the additional vocals on the Rage Against the Machine track. Time has come to pay. That's it. Yeah, That's okay. the best thing ever yeah. Couldn't even stand him in a, a, a perfect circle. Again, more round the blocks. Just boring, going nowhere, nonsense. I just don't know. I mean, I loved Danny Carey, top drummer. I don't dispute the great musician. He's uh, is, uh, some of the patterns he pulls off um, as a drummer myself. It's just sort of, it makes you ill, it makes you want to quit. But <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're so good! It makes me want to cry. 
it's just it seems like it's self-indulgence for self-indulgence's sake it just there's no point to it they don't seem like they enjoy it well we have to do this we have to drag this artistry from the corner of our soul from the very depth of our being well don't do it then find someone else to do it if you've got to drag it out and you've got to drag it out for 8 years 9 years 10 years whatever it is since you last released a record and it's that painful for you to actually be in the same room as each other don't do it just say no like Zamo should have done in Grey Jail just say no that's an end of it and that's why everybody should say to Tool no just, just, just say no just say no to Tool no no that's what I'm saying I listened to most of it before it bore the hell on me and I was looking at the reviews and you know they were saying oh you know this track sounds uh, it's like John Carpenter influences well go listen to John Carpenter then because he does it yeah. so much better okay a great example right? minimalist musician John Carpenter composes his own soundtracks gets it on his little keyboard plays a couple of tunes everybody digs it it's John Carpenter yeah. being minimalist if Tool say well this was influenced by John Carpenter or somebody else tries to put a John Carpenter influence on Tool Tool are going to go well of course that's what we were striving for I don't care what you're striving for musically I just don't like the band I no. really don't it is out now fear inoculum it's dreadful to say it but, but it's not mass movement approved they, no, they care about that they don't, right, they, don't they don't give us stuff if, it's, if we <laughs> approve them or they don't Maynard Keeling sitting there in his in his, in his winery surrounded by barrels <laughs> of whatever he, uh, he owns a winery really yeah, Does dude he? owns his own winery, right? Oh, okay. He's sitting amongst his vineyards, sipping his latest red. Oh, so those two buffoons from <laughs> Cardiff don't like my record. So what? There are plenty more suckers who do. And as they buy my record, I grow more vines, I drink more wine. <laughs> you know, not, not there's anything wrong with a good wine, right? But I think his, his wine is probably like his music and it's just overindulgent and just tasteless and goes nowhere. But anyway, much as I don't like Tool, Widows... I saw like the anti-tool. They 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 are, in my opinion, the best metal band in the UK at the moment. You know, there's a stoner influence there. There's a couple. There's a bit of hardcore chucked in that, and there's definitely some beautiful chaos riffs. Yeah, yeah. It's swirling on there. Like I said, best metal band in the UK at the moment. Should we check out a track? Check out a track. Okay, this is P.S. Worry. It's from Tenure, which is on Bandcamp. Bandcamp and APF Records. APF Records, yeah. This is Widows. Yeah. 
So that was Widows with PS Worry. That's from Tenya. Um, so we had the last week. We had the first mass movement sort of road <laughs> trip. Uh, it was a cider road trip down Somerset Way. Down Somerset. Sorry. <laughs> or Mumble Country. Mumble Country. I like to call it. Yeah. Beautiful day. Perfect day to go cider drinking. It was. Didn't drink any while I was driving, mind you. No, you were still the apple juice, which was yeah. fantastic as it was. God. It, the best apple juice I think I've ever had in my life. Well, Richard, the best yeah. cider I've ever had in my life. <laughs> well, I was converted. I mean, I'm not a cider guy. Right. Never have been. Always been a beer guy. Thought I'd tag along. Yeah. Sample the ways. Yeah. And it was good. To be honest, I really wanted to go to the um, Fleet Air Arm Museum that day as well. But there's yeah. no way we were going to get the Fleet Air Arm because of the traffic. So it was just like less restricted. We hit bank no, holiday traffic. We hit bank holiday yeah. traffic big time. So yeah. we didn't get to the Fleet Air Arm. So, I mean, I know it's not a really punk thing to say, but... I like airplanes. I like the smell of aviation fuel. And I like to see jet fighter planes. And that's fine. Airplanes. I like trains. I like the smell of trains. And... Yeah, but you're just weird. <laughs> but anyway, so I'm that guy at the end of the platform. <laughs> so we're in Somerset, and we went to Tor Cider. That was that's it. It's a, it's a nice little place, you know. Then there's cider school, and I know you like the cheese, and you were into that, and just sampling oh, the yeah, cheese. Oh yeah, yeah. It was just beautiful. Cookie it was a, cheddar. But that's where we picked up uh, some bees knees, wasn't it? Bees knees. Bees knees. Yeah. Sweet scrumpy. Yeah. Absolutely beautiful. Just not harsh, not abrasive, just absolutely beautiful on a summer's day. Let's say it was a perfect summer's day we went down. Yeah, it was like some wise chap once said there are three kinds of cider. There's singing cider, fighting cider, and sleeping cider. And that is definitely singing cider. Oh, for sure. It's just, yeah. Because nobody wanted to have a rock on that farm. You could see there's no deep no, no. itching for a fight. There's no tourists getting up and trying to throw chairs at each other or any of that kind of stuff. Were, people were just having a nice time sat in the sun drinking cider. Yeah, I don't far from it. It was that kind of day. Yeah. yeah. Then we moved on to... Well, we were going to go to Wilkins. Yeah. Again, um, but traffic But the traffic there. was just unbelievable. You couldn't yeah. get anywhere near it. Couldn't get... It, you to you know, Roger Wilkins being... Nah, 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 nah. i got to meet that guy, though. Oh, he's mental. <laughs> He'll only serve you cider if he likes you. Because he's literally stopped. First time I went to work inside the farm, there was me, John, and my mate Poggles, right? And so the three of us went in shout there. Shout out to Poggles. Shout out to Poggles. Always shout out to Poggles. And so me and John went in there, and we asked them for samples, and they gave us samples. And Poggles asked them for and they literally blanked them. They looked just that straight at him, and they turned away, and they just wouldn't give me Wow. Right? We went up again, got another sample of the other one, and uh, Poggles goes... And they just literally blanked him, turned their backs on him, and wouldn't serve him. It's, it's one of those places where they'll only give you something if they like the look of you. So they must have thought he was a wrong one. <laughs> so <I'm, laughs> just, we don't like you. <laughs> You're wrong and boggles. It was, yeah, it's, it was it's almost like a scene out of an American werewolf. <laughs> yeah. Stay on the cider, boy. Stay on the cider. Fantastic. And yeah, so we're going to have to. I'm sad to have missed that one. I'm sad to. We have to make a, a trip down especially to see uh, this guy. Oh, well, that's good. That's a given. Yeah, totally. We'll do that. We'll yeah. definitely that. But we end up in Riches, which is one of my favourite sides of all time. Lovely restaurant too. Lovely restaurant. Yeah. You do macaroni cheese. How can you fault? Macaroni cheese and garlic bread. Yeah. Perfect. Oh yes. Yeah. It goes. It goes well down. Down well left. It's good macaroni cheese. Almost as good as the cider. Not quite as good as the cider. <laughs> almost as good. So their cider is just something else. Yeah. Again, came up with uh, several liters of take home. Oh yeah. <laughs> All which, most of which I still got because you know I'm old and I can't drink lots. <laughs> well, I, I don't drink lots anyway. I mean, do you, I'm even besides being some kind of mad alcoholic, side alcoholic, just wandering around the streets. <laughs> hey, yeah, yeah, so you wandering around the streets in my underpants, challenging everybody to a fight. Side <laughs> 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 invincibility. I can't. I'm not like that. That's Jonathan Evans. 
He does that. Yeah. All the time. Shout out to John. Shout out to John. <laughs> John is cider rocks. <laughs> cider battles. <laughs> Drinks enough of that and imagines he's on the cover of a Man of War record. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Wielding his shield and his axe. <laughs> Odin! Odin! <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. So, yeah, but I can thoroughly, thoroughly recommend if anybody, any cider fans out there who are, who are, who are in that sort of, or even not in that area, make, make your way the down car, there. Get in the car and head down to Riches and Tor, and tour side Farms. Cause Every sort of there. five, ten miles, there's, there's a farm of some sort going yeah. on. Some sort of cider being sold, yeah. And even just the scenery, you're just driving around. I mean, I was being driven around. It was just being shuffled around. You yeah. Felt like Lady Penelope, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. You, you were Lady Penelope's my parker that day. <laughs> and so I decided being the subservient driver. I was the rude old taxi bastard. Oh, okay. So let's move on to... <laughs> quickly, quickly move on. Quickly, move on. on. Quickly, quickly. So we're based in, we're based in Cardiff, yeah. uh, South Wales, and... This weekend, the WWE you took over. You went to NXT, didn't you? I went to NXT, UK TakeOver in Cardiff. Amazing experience. Really loved it. It was sort of had that sort of pay-per-view vibe. Right. Uh, which essentially was, but, you know, obviously it's on the network now. Yeah. But um, I can imagine what well, these cities are like when WrestleMania takes over. It was just sort right. of everything, everything was a big deal. Cardiff came out in force. Plenty of home wrestlers there. Didn't Flash Morgan yeah. take the... Flash Morgan out? and Mark Andrews. Because I saw Flash wrestler for Attack Pro to take his community centre. I mean, guys, a nutter. Oh, yes, yeah. Absolute nutter. Brilliant wrestler. Well, that, that was a moment. That was that was, that was was their moment. They went over the grizzled young veterans, which is Zach Gibbs and, and James Drake, and Gallus, which is Mark Coffey, and Wolfgang. Cardiff mm-hmm. popped from when they won the titles. Cardiff absolutely popped. And you can see what it meant to them. I mean, they were jumping in the crowd, celebrating with the crowd. It was, it was, a, it was a really good moment for them. Which the game Triple H uh, commented on when we spoke to him at the event. Just a quick warning, this interview was conducted in a live arena, so it is quite noisy, and the audio is not the best, but enjoy. Yeah, I thought it was spectacular. Look, if you're Mark Andrews, tough to have a better day today than, than you did today, right? You come in here, your hometown, with one of your other hometown buddies, uh, your band's music is playing as a, <laughs> as a theme, come to the ring, you have a crazy, incredible match, innovative, across the board, spectacular, and then you win the tag team championships in front of your home crowd and, and uh, get yourself in, in the crowd with them. I mean, pretty decent day, right? I mean, uh, doesn't get much better than that, so, yeah, spectacular across the board. I, I'm proud of them, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to see it for them, it's, you know. Yeah, so Mark Andrews, he, uh, I said he went over. It just made you think, does... I mean, the, the crowd was sort of chanting to Vince, like, right. are you watching? Well, I know he replied via... Yeah, he did, yeah, Twitter, yeah. Card if I'm watching, card if I hear you. That's right, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. But Triple H uh, alluded to the same, and he had right. this to say about it. Well, he was watching. He tweeted it. <laughs> they, <laughs> ch- they chanted, uh, are you watching Vince McMahon, I believe was the chant, correct? He tweeted, hey, yeah, I'm watching, and it's the hell of a show, whatever he said, and, um, you know... I said this on Facebook. People don't give him credit for what he did. First of all, none of us would be here at one point. Um, took something that was dying and made it into a global phenomenon. Secondly, you know, people don't give him credit for being on top of all the things he does or that we do. He absolutely sees the NXT. He sees NXT in the U.S. He sees NXT here. You know, um, he's proud of all of it. He's proud of these talent. He's proud of this crew. He's proud of the like putting up the ring. He did all of it. Um, it all sits under the umbrella that he 
put up. You know what I mean? So he's extremely proud of all of it. He's, he's okay with people criticizing and taking on the sins of the world that aren't always necessarily his fault. That's a part of the gig. Um, but I can tell you this. He was watching tonight. I can tell you he'll call me uh, shortly after. I Once I say I'm wrapped here and I'm uh, moving on, he's going to call me and talk about the show. And he's going to tell me how much I'm sure because I already got a tweet when he sent me the text. But uh, he's going to say how much he loved it. And, you know, but, um, but at the same point in time, is what it is. There's a lot of a lot of chatter about it. What happens when NXT goes to USA? Because now it's TV product. It's the same thing. <laughs> Trust me. He, as much as he will deny it, he's still a human being. And live Monday, Wednesday, Friday is is good with Mondays and Fridays. And he's gonna let the NXT uh, crew handle NXT and do what we do because it's working clearly. The thing about NXT now is it's become uh, an entity on its own. I mean, I've seen some NXT stuff on yeah. the WWE Network. Yeah. Um, and to be, from my point of view, NXT is better than the big TV product they're pushing. It's just the wrestling's better, the storylines are better. The wrestlers themselves seem to enjoy it more. They seem to be over more. They seem to be in character more. They just it just seems to be a more cohesive package than either Raw or SmackDown or any of the pay per views they put on by the main roster well this is it and it, it was it was put to triple h is it still sort of considered a developmental territory or nowadays or is it or is it sort of the finished article yeah so this is all you have to say about that i think so it's it's it I, i've never we've used the term but it's bothered me almost some in some ways since the beginning there's aspects of this that you can say are absolutely developmental Especially when you talk about the U.S., people forget. I, we just went through this exercise the other day, and I, I don't want to say the numbers because I'll say them more because we just went through it the other day. But um, when you start to look at the brand that NXT is, and you see people like Braun Strowman, who had never stepped through the ropes before he walked into the performance center, ever. Alexa Bliss never stepped through the ropes before until they walked into the performance center. Charlotte Flair, right? Homegrown. Velveteen Dream, Homegrown. Like, when you start to make the list of people that came from zero to where they are today, the term developmental in some ways works. Even just Tyler Bate, as good as he was, how good is he now? Right? The same thing, to me, the developmental term makes it almost sound less than, and I don't even like the word call-up. It just sounds, it's wrong. There's, There's three brands to me within the WWE. There's Raw, there's SmackDown, and there's NXT. There's variations within NXT. There's NXT. I feel like in a lot of ways the cruiserweights on 205 Live are part of NXT. I feel like uh, NXT UK is just it's just an extension of the NXT brand. They're, they're here in their country doing their thing. But I want to you know, build this out and, and make it bigger. But it's, it's brands. This doesn't seem to be you know what I mean? Barclay Center so loud, Chicago so loud, dude. You know, LA, every place we go, done it here in London. Um, it, it's a different, it's just a different brand. And there are three global touring brands, and that's really what it is. Um, the platforms are different, but those are all steps of growth. And and as you see it in the USA, um, in the US, I, I think all these brands have that opportunity to grow. There's, there's three banners. There's Raw, there's SmackDown, there's NXT. So there we are. It was it was nice to see Cesaro 
from Imagine. the main roster. Uh, he put an appearance, and it was. So is he putting an appearance because he's back with NXT, or is he is he jumping between the main roster and NXT, or is it just? Well, it's, it's probably going to be a one-off, but there is sort of rumblings that some of the, the guys who aren't getting the push perhaps they deserve, right. like Cesaro, is perhaps So they're going to big gigs in NXT rather than mid-card. Yeah, thing. exactly, yeah. Oh, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's sort of being suggested that they could work better on some of the NXT okay. uh, territories. And, uh, well, Triple H explained why this is happening and why they're sort of happy to come to UK to compete. You know, um... It's, you, you've heard guys recently talk about it. You've heard McIntyre talk about wanting to come over here, and you know, Finn Balor came over here. Um, when something's hot, you know, people want to be a part of it. Um, they want to they go there and they can um, help, they can lend their hand to that. And, and you know, absolutely. I mean, made that right? right? Um, but that's that's what he doesn't have to do. He wants to be here. He wants to do that. He wants to to, to be here, be a part of this. You know, there's not much to not want to be a part of too. But when you come here, this place is sold out. The crowd is electric. You know, it's funny to go out there and just do his thing. Um, and I think that's what, what this is about for them. It's one of the things I'm most excited about. Is, is that is just if if, uh, if I could just say yeah. Um, it would be a free throw because they all if between here and uh, and Florida, you know, NXT right now, everybody's coming to me saying, you know, from inside to outside, hey, can I be a part of that? It's going to be a good moment. For so yeah, Cesaro coming to NXT UK was obviously a big moment, right. but it was also sort of would it would it be happening the opposite way? Are we going to see these uh, NXT UK stars? Jumping onto the main roster. Yeah, yeah. For I mean, like one-off appearances or actually becoming part of it. Because that's what the demon... Oh. Finn Balor. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, he's, he's, he's a product of... Yeah, exactly. I mean, he even made an appearance at the last uh, NXT UK uh, in Blackpool. Right. You know, go back to his roots sort of thing for him. But yeah, again, we uh, we, we put the question to Triple H about whether, you know, we will be seeing these, these stars in, in America soon. And this is what he had to say. Yeah, so I think a big part of the show that you will see on USA... Is, is crossing. I, I see that show on USA as what I just said, NXT. Right? So um, I think when we have the opportunity to bring Walter over, Walter will be there. Tony Storm, anyway, Piper. You know, you, you already see Rhea sometimes, but like the, the, the build to be able to do that, the, the build to be able to bring in the UK champions, the build to be able to bring in the UK tag team champions. Um, you know, all of that. I think being a part of that, having the brands kind of intersect like that, helps keep it fresh and interesting for talent. I, I love the fact that, you know, that brand uh, can have the offshoots of here, can have moments like Pete has done before, defending the UK championship on a takeover there. Doesn't mean somebody can't come over here and do it as well. Um, but having that, I think in the next um, year, in, in, in 20, you're going to see a lot of growth out of the UK and I think this brand will be at the forefront of that I think you're going to be able to see uh, a lot more takeovers here for, for the UK itself I think you're going to be able to see a lot more hopefully touring um, you know it's, it's all steps I want to make sure that the steps are there um, that we can make them work not I don't ever want to take that next step with the brand before it's ready to do it and make it successful so sometimes it might seem like well it took a long time to get to this 
say this all the time about the the UK brand in general. Mm-hmm. When we were building Hip, everybody was saying it took forever before they did a takeover, and it took forever before it was its own brand, and they had a champion. It took forever, and then when we did it, immediately it was like, oh my God, it's happened so fast. You know, it, it flips the other way. It's all steps, and and in the in the big scheme of things, it's happening quickly. Might seem slow, but in this process this year, I think you're going to see a big change. The, the, to be honest, um, if it goes well, USA can be a game changer in a lot of ways because it opens up so many eyeballs. Just the ability to put eyeballs on the UK itself um, feeds back into the network and, and everything else. So it's all synergistic together. So I think the, the opportunity of that is across the board for everything. Yeah, with all the talent uh, NXT UK have, it was it was put to Triple H that would he ever consider lacing his boots up in NXT UK. Now that'd be something worth seeing. That would be something worth seeing. This is what he had to say, and it was a little bit surprising, given the career he's had. Okay. But here's what he had to say about that. Did you see what happened here tonight? Um, yeah, somebody asked me. I'm, I am thrilled to sit right back there uh, next to Sean and uh, enjoy watching it. These guys and girls, this is their time. Um, you know, I'm... I'm I'm never opposed if asked to do it, uh, to step in and do what I can do, but for me right now, this is about them. This is their time, their brand. Uh, let them go and do what they do and, and uh, showcase themselves to the world. You know, I uh, said it earlier to the talent, you know, they, they had a they had a busy day today because there's a lot of competition in this area right now and, and well, in the world in general. This is a big day, right? And there's a lot going on. Um, I think they staked their claim. They put a flag in the ground, and, uh, you know, we just sent it back there. But they they came in here with a goal today to say, follow that when they were done. And I think they did that. So there we go. That was Triple H's take on on it all. Right, so is is NXT UK separate from NXT? Do they treat them as separate entities, or are they all part of one entity? Is it all NXT, or is NXT UK a branch of NXT? It's a branch of, but they do swap talent. You will see talent crossing over. So are the the guys on NXT UK actually signed to WWE, or are they still freelancers and they can wrestle? There's a bit of both. There's some who are on contract. Okay. I went to the TV tapings the next night and there was several attack pro guys there. Right. Which was lovely to see because they got big pops from the, the local crowd. The yeah. local... Uh, As they should. Oh, totally, yeah, yeah. anyone who's been to an attack show knows how awesome Yeah, exactly, yeah. Are. I mean, they were there to sort of as fodder for the Mark Andrews thing, you know. I mean, yeah, they were there Mark, just a job to them and, you know. Yeah, they came out uh, and then they got beat down uh, by Mark Andrews and Flash made the, the save... But that was a nice moment, you know, it was like they were saving their mentor sort of thing. So, is Flash still doing the whole mod gimmick thing? Yeah. Can, he's still doing Yeah, oh yeah, totally, oh, yeah. Right, yeah. Oh, he's still Ooh, the mod guy, Flash yeah. Flash Morgan West. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, Dave Mastiff, he's one who's been uh, around Tap Pro guys as well. Right. He was at the, he, he was the last man standing match, which was brutal. I'll never look at cricket in the same way. Once you've seen, <laughs> it, once you've seen a cricket bat smashed over someone's head, it's never... Quite well, the I, same. I'm from Port Call, mate. I've seen that happen a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> and these didn't look like rigged cricket bats. They looked the real deal. And they didn't look like they were pulling punches either. They were they were deaf. They had to be rigged. If you get it on the, the cricket bat, the, your skull's getting caved in. It's, yeah. not, it's not, yeah. There was no selling needed. It was just all genuine damn that hurt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. I'm not getting up in the morning quite as quickly as I thought I was going to. <laughs> we had Kaylee Ray. Defeated Tony Storm and she won the uh, NXT UK Women's Championship. Okay. Kelly Ray, Scottish girl. I don't know. I, I don't know how to describe her really. She's she's gonna be a, a one for the 
for the future for sure. Oh, As is probably Tony Storm. Was it one of Peter's pervy moments when he saw her? <laughs> Peter's pervy moments. Well, yeah, you know. <laughs> he starts to sweat and it all gets caught in the deal along with the sandwich he's been eating. Up. <laughs> we had Travis Banks, Kiwi Buzzsaw. He put in a, um, an appearance. Unfortunately, he got beat, but... I mean, the one for me was Walter uh, versus Tyler Bate. That was for the, the title. Right. Walter is just, he's part of Imperium, which is that sort of a classic... Heel stable. Heel stable, yeah. Where they, they sort of, their, their gimmick is uh, the mat, they got on the, on the back of their pants and all their merch, the mat is sacred. So they're old school wrestlers and they're very sort of sportsmen and... And they're all, um, they're all sort of, they've got this dedicated. German Russian vibe and well, dedicated to the art of yeah, wrestling yeah, rather than yeah. you know, nothing gets in the way. The showmanship isn't there. It's yes. just about the. It's wrestling. all about the mat. Yeah, right. it's all about uh, what you do in the ring. And Walter is the, the champion, and he's just he's going to be a big deal. Hopefully, I hope WWE using the right way. I'd love to see him in the main roster. Fortunately, what WWE really need, okay, is a couple of talented writers. <laughs> <laughs> Who can go in there and really mix it up. Yeah. Who listen to what wrestlers' gimmicks are and listen to the wrestlers and then push them forward and that kind of thing. Not that I'm saying they should give us a bell. <laughs> Bring me. <laughs> and that's... Because that's a dream gig. Oh, God, yeah. We've all gone over cards, you know, over the years and sort of put together dream cards and dream bouts and dream... But that's the thing. We all believe we're smart marks. We all believe we know the business works. We're not yeah. actually in the business, so we don't have a clue on the business no. works. You know, if, if, and if we did... We'd probably be like, ha, 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 well, you see, you smart marks think you know everything, but you don't know diddly. And we'd probably be writing the same kind of project. Because it can't be an easy gig writing for a show that's promoting itself as a, a TV12 kind of project. So you, it's, it's family yeah. viewing rather than... Yeah, it is, yeah. yeah. Age, age restrictive. So you, that can't be an easy gig at all. The editor must go through. Yeah, but I bet I can still do it. And then an hour before, you get Vince come in and tear it up for you and rewrite it. I mean, that, that's like, the, that's like a, one of the most terrifying things. You know, Vince McMahon running in the room and screaming at you. Sort of... <laughs> but at the same time, it's kind of a dream as well. I must talk about those dreams. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it was an excellent show, yeah. And i got to say thanks to Tom Roach from WWE. I've been emailing him now for a while. It was nice to finally meet the guy. Sort of, uh, I don't know, mini Vince McMahon maybe in the works there, I think. He had that sort of uh, vibe about him. Very focused, very... Terrifying. Terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, but um, thank you, Tom. Much appreciated. And uh, I'm looking forward to what uh, NXT UK is going to do next now. Huh? Talking to... Completely irrelevant stuff and entertaining things that make you smile and make you want to go shamalama ding dong. I reckon we should play some Boris the Sprinkler. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. this is their, off their new album, their first in 20 years. But you can say the title. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so the title of the song is something about Shawanky. <laughs> she got that wonk, shicky, shicky, wonk, wonk. wonk. Yep. That's the one. You got it right. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, this is Boris the Sprinkler from Best on the album Best for Dominion. This was September 13th on Beer City, yeah. Yes. Open parenthesis, she got the close parenthesis, wonk, shicky, shicky, wonk, wonk.
Winkler. Well, she got that wonk, shicky, shicky, wonk, wonk. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> From Vespa to Venus, out September 13th on Beer City Records. So, games, you've been playing Talisman. Yeah, well, Talisman's an old favourite. So, Saturday, we were supposed to be playing D&D. This is you and your crew. But, yeah. You and your, your Saturday D&D crew. Yeah, my, my geek crew. Your bi-monthly Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> but um, one of us couldn't make it due to a prior commitment in Bristol. So, um, we ended up playing Talisman, and it was as much fun as it ever is. It's sort of uh, games workshops first foray into fantasy board games from the early 80s and it's been a staple of my life since i would say 84 maybe 1984 how did you how did you get into that sort of thing i mean what talisman or D&D? Yeah, just sort of yeah was it it was D your first sort of yeah well um, go-to or? so yeah so i played my first game of dungeons and dragons in january 1983 January. You can pin it down that. Yeah, because I had it for Christmas night. Okay. So it was January 1983. And by the time um, you set it up, it was January. <laughs> well, no, but, yeah. you started no, on no, Christmas no, Day. Yeah, but, <laughs> <laughs> well, the, so the guy I played my first game of Dungeons and Dragons with, I still play Dungeons and Dragons with to this day. That's awesome. That's um, awesome. So, you know, we've been playing since then. Yeah. Talisman sort of follows on because you, when you haven't got enough players to play D and D or you fancy a quick break from the campaign. Talisman, you can set up and you can play a game in maybe three hours. Um, and it's really easy. It's just put the board down, get your characters, go. And it's a, a card and dice based game. It's just a lot of fun. And everybody dies and everybody will repeatedly die. And it's quite a vicious game because you could, the idea is to get the crown of command and take control of the entire board and kill everybody else off so you become the ultimate victor. So everybody's trying to outdo each other and outmaneuver each other all the way through the game. But because it's based on cards and random draws, it makes it a little bit more difficult to actually know how the outcome of the game or predict the outcome of the game. So it's as much luck as it is skill. So this is something you just revisit every what, couple of times a year? Or? Three, four times a year. Nice. I mean, I've got the box I've got. I mean, it's, it's like a second edition from 87 now, I believe. Okay. <clears throat> Something like that, which is still the test time. I've got the Fantasy Flight 4th edition, which is just remarkably expensive but remarkably beautiful at the same time because all the uh, sort of card player pieces have been replaced by plastic figures and it's okay. just gorgeous okay. it really is. but I mean because we played Talisman then we sort of kicked into Dungeon which is another favourite so Dungeon is uh, was TSR's original answer to D- Dungeons and Dragons like the, the family sort of how do you get the family to play Dungeons and Dragons well you make it into a board game and you make it into a quick fast board game where all the players explore a dungeon, kill monsters, get treasure, collect a certain amount of treasure, get back to the start. And it's still as much fun as it ever was. So it's, I think you described it before as Dungeons and Dragons Light. Yes, that it's, it's a perfect introduction into the whole idea of Dungeons and Dragons. So okay. you've got a board which is filled with like a dungeon which is separated into different levels by colour. So you start with your character in the middle, which you either a fighter, a rogue, uh, a wizard, or a cleric, and you move around the dungeon you go into rooms you try to kill monsters get treasure monsters can kill you so you can be as you find monsters it's like a proper dice sort of combat and the idea is to get as much treasure as you need to get back to the start so that you win the game and it's just a lot of fun you know and it's a great so did you play dungeon first no we do no 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 see i i see i did things the arse way is about i went straight (laughs) to the deep end with dungeons and dragons but when i started playing though it was separated like basic Expert in advance, so I got a basic set for Christmas, and which would cover like levels one to three, 
And then Expert was supposed to come with levels 4 to 6, and then you move on to Advanced, which is a whole new game itself. So I, moved, I went from Basic to Expert, then to um, First Edition Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. So and then from that, I discovered Fighting Fantasy, sort of the game books, and but I didn't discover them until after the TSR set of Choose Your Own Adventure books, which are better than Fighting Fantasy, in my opinion. I know it's heresy amongst a lot of people that Choose Your Own Adventure is better than Fighting Fantasy, but it is. It just, it just is. What's the what's the enduring thing about board games? I mean, board games. Or I mean, books. Of books, you know, kids don't pick up books as much as they used to. I mean, my yeah. day it was all about books and board games and whatnot. And your day, obviously. Yeah. You know, because the computer games that sort of take over everything now. Right. But I mean, most of the UK, most cities in the UK still has a, a games workshop or a. It's a social aspect. It's it's a it's incredibly social way to spread so say you're the kind of kid who's interested in D&D or board games you, you're a slightly geeky kid you can find companionship and solace in playing these games so, I mean I certainly did when I was younger you know it's a way to avoid being bullied and to forget that you're not being invited to parties or any of that kind of stuff and that you're not the popular kid in school far from it you're the absolute opposite and it's that social aspect that keeps you going through life because you, you make friends you play these games you develop a whole history together and it's it's a lot easier to sort of play D&D and put it to your wife that you're going to play D&D rather than have a poker night where you're going to lose money or whatever because you're not going to lose anything playing D&D you're just going to have a good, good time with your yeah. mates you're going to sit down drink coffee drink beer and hang out and it's a good way to socialise it's just a lot of fun you know, and it takes you away from the rigmarole and the daily grind of all the terrible things that life constantly throws at you it's just fun. It's a really good way to spend your time. Like we said before, that's what we deal in. That's what we do. We deal in fun. You know, yeah. it's like punk rock's fun. Board games are fun. D and D's fun. Yeah. That's what we do. We do fun. And on that note, Christopher, I think maybe we should close it down for that. I think we are just about done for today. Hi, this is James from Widows, and you're listening to the Mass Movement Podcast. You lucky devils. Should we do some shoutouts? Yeah, why not? So there are people who deserve a shout out today. There are people who they... definitely deserve a shout out today. So I want to shout out Tom from WWE as I already, but thanks again for everything. Yeah, I just want to give a massive shout out to Jurgen from Rookie Records and Lee, Lee Hollison and the Spermbirds because, you know, you guys made my week and just being the people you are. And for putting out, yeah, putting out a great record too. And putting out yeah. an awesome record. I want to say yeah. thanks to Lisa at Bird Change Films for Life After Flash and just being incredibly cool and giving us a competition prize. And, and Mike at Beer City. He what? can be a pain in the backside, and <laughs> but he's a lovely guy and yeah, he's a good bloke. And he's going to put out two great records with the new Boris Sprinkler and the reissue of the uh, Wacky Eye Jinx of Adrenaline OD. So pick him up, have fun, say hello to Mike, tell him we sent you. He won't give you any money off and he'll probably call you a knob, but you know, that's we'll just see. Mike. <laughs> <laughs> right, until next time, folks. Ta ta. Bye bye.